Well, welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, joined today by Jim Anderson, my associate. Uh, I guess you'd call this particular episode of the Deep in Scripture program the episodes in between, because Jim and I are going to join uh, in the weeks between the regular scheduled guests that will join me on the Hard Verses uh, this series of Deep in Scripture programs. And then Jim's going to join me in the alternate weeks to look at emails and uh, tweets. Um, um, tweets are more up Jim's line. So, I don't do Twitter. I do Facebook. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we're going to tackle those on the in-between line just to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the Coming Home Network International. And this series that we're calling Hard Verses that uh, my guests and I will look at scriptures that are considered or would have been considered hard or difficult, depending on what tradition you come from. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're trying to demonstrate in this program. We love scripture. It's the the word of God. It's inspired. It's, It's a great gift to us. But the danger is that, especially through private interpretation, uh, we can put spins on verses and maybe miss what our Lord and the church are trying to teach us. And, you know, to a certain extent, Jim, the what we're looking at this week um, in the brief time that we're going to gather mm-hmm. in, in the program today is very much about that. And that is that there are scriptures that are difficult, uncomfortable, and they should change our lives drastically, but they don't. In fact, most Christians live as if there are certain statements that our Lord made that were, are not important. And this isn't just Protestants. We're talking Catholics, too, especially with today's instances. Yeah, all Christians. Yes, all Christians. These are verses that have always been a difficulty uh, and um, and as we present those, those of you who are listening, think about, these are the words of our Lord, Jesus Christ. How do you live these words? Do you, do you listen to them? Have they made a difference in your life, the way you live? If people looked and watched us, would they see that we are living according to these words of our Lord? Mm-hmm. And the reason... And I, I want to say another thing, and that is that we've been accumulating a very nice long list of your emails and tweets and uh, Facebook comments. And Jim and I are, are anxiously looking forward to spending a little bit more research time on, on answering your questions. Yeah. We want to do them justice, so we don't want to just grab the questions and run down to the studio and answer them off the top of our head. We want to do them good justice. We're not pretending to be biblical scholars here, uh, though Jim and I have been students of of Scripture for most of our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, since Jim's only 30 years old, that's only been about 10 years, right, Jim? Times two. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're getting to be kind of old here. But thank you for joining us anyway. But what we're looking at, we're going to set most of the uh, emails and tweets aside. We're going to focus on one today that actually brings in about a half dozen long scripture references. But that list could be very, very long. 
as Jim and I introduced. These are, these are scriptures that are hard for all Christians, and they divide Christians. And the email that uh, launches us into our discussion goes like this. It seems all the verses that have been chosen for mass readings the past week could be considered hard verses, mainly because most Christians today essentially ignore the clear meaning of what Christ was saying to his disciples. We either have an easy explanation that lessens what he was saying, or we simply ignore what he said. How can we hear and practice what Jesus mm-hmm. was saying? Now, so to a certain extent, Jim, that could be said for almost everything Jesus said. This is true. This is true. But this, especially for us Americans, this is very difficult because it hits us in the wallet. Yes. And so what our emailer was referring to is uh, beginning, well, it may have begun before that, particularly beginning last Wednesday, mm-hmm. the first week of November, the gospel readings for Mass, and those of you that aren't Catholics, uh, you can go online almost any, in many places and, and see the Old Testament the psalm, Mm -hmm. and the gospel, and the epistle. And one explanation uh, uh, here is, for those who aren't Catholic, there are scripture readings for mass readings for every day of the week, not just on Sundays. So you you might have been confused when Marcus said, beginning last Wednesday. That's right, yeah. Every... And it's a three-year cycle, mm-hmm. and uh, most of the Bible is covered. I think there are some passages that are that are uh, the most preachable passages, uh, or that fit into liturgical season. Yeah. But nearly the one everything. that comes to mind is the Psalm of bashing their little one one's heads against the rocks. Uh, that's not in the <laughs> in the lectionary. Yeah, no. and I'm not sure I dealt with that as a Protestant pastor <laughs> either from the pulpit. Uh, but these began last Wednesday. And these are the gospel or epistle, and we could look at all of them, but they. let me first just pick out some of the difficult verses from these larger readings, mm-hmm. just to give you a demonstration of the difficulty of these scriptures. These mm-hmm. are the words of our Lord. Last Wednesday, the gospel reading was from Luke chapter 14, 15 through 24. The story was about a man who had a dinner and invited everybody to come. Mm -hmm. And our Lord uses the example of three men who had excuses not to come. One bought a field and said, I've got to go look at it. I can't come. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go evaluate them. Sorry, I can't come. Another man said, I just married a woman. Therefore, I cannot come. And the point is, at the end of that section, our Lord completes his parable by saying, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited will taste my dinner. The point of the parable is that possessions, property, and relationships can influence us, draw us away, distract us away from that which is necessary Mm -hmm. for the kingdom And in the end, because of those possessions, 
property and people, we may not be invited to the feast. And Jesus here isn't condemning outright possessions, property, and especially people. I mean, we're not saying Jesus is condemning women here because he got married. No, it's putting things in their proper order. The highest good is more important and more vital than the lesser goods. And these are all goods, good things. God created them. Well, in one of the verses that isn't in this collection that we could mm -hmm. have, and that's the the verses right after the stories about the rich young ruler mm -hmm. who asked our Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And our Lord says, uh, obey the commandments. And the young man said, I've done that from birth. And, and mm -hmm. of course, in I think it says it in every gospel account that Jesus looked at him uh, in love. And But then he says, but there's one more thing. Yeah. Go, sell, give it away follow me. That's basically the summary. Go sell all your goods, give the money to the poor, and follow me. And the story is the guy couldn't do it. Yeah. He walked away. And then Jesus says the hard verses, mm -hmm. how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. Which scandalized his disciples. Scandalized the disciples, has scandalized Christians from this day. How do you apply it? It's difficult passages. And just like in the story from Luke, um, you know, people with property, people with possessions, uh, people connected to others that aren't interested in the faith. There's always this tension, this drawing away. And uh, again, Jim, let's, if you could think about this, I'm not sure if I remember how I, as a, as a Calvinist, dealt with this passage, or as Lutherans or Methodists or, or different traditions deal with it. In general, Jim, I would say that Almost all Christian traditions would interpret this in the same way as saying that property, possessions, and people, of course, in themselves are not bad, mm -hmm. but if we are too attached right. to possessions, property, and people, mm -hmm. it can cause a conflict with our commitment to follow Jesus Christ fully to the kingdom. We are called to give up everything and follow him. He comes first. Everything else, see, well, the, he has, there's the phrase, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. The, the interesting spin on this, Jim, from a Calvinist standpoint and a Lutheran mm -hmm. standpoint is that when Luther and Calvin uh, bought into the total depravity idea, mm -hmm. bought into the idea that our righteousness, our justification comes from the outside, not from the in. In other words, we are fully depraved. There's nothing we can do to please God ever, and that if we are saved, it's only by a complete gratuitous gift of God. Our righteousness comes from the outside imputed to us. That, uh, so, so therefore, many Calvinists and even Lutherans have such a difficulty with these kinds of statements from Christ that they are delegated to the pre-cross mm -hmm. Period in Christ's life 
as if they no longer apply to us on this side of the cross, so that really we're more interested in the writings of Paul than we are the sayings of Jesus. And that is even heightened by those uh, who follow dispensationalist theology. They even put a stronger spin on it, that that is Old Testament, it is irrelevant to us. As, and as a result of both those cases, you have the, the Calvinist that believes that salvation comes to us as a gratuitous gift from God, has nothing to do with us at all. But it was predestined before all time, whether we were saved or not saved. Mm-hmm. We had nothing to do with it. In that case, there's nothing we can do to lose it. So to a certain extent, how we live our lives have nothing to do with salvation per se, mm-hmm. though we're called in gratitude to live in holiness. But what grew in that tradition, Jim, and you'll correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, that often possessions and property and success and wealth were used as visible signs of election. Yeah, uh, which kind of turns the whole teaching on its head, but... Um, and in some ways goes back to what the apostles were assuming and were scandalized because of Jesus' teaching. Yeah, one of the problems has always been how do you interpret those statements in the Old Testament mm-hmm. that seem to imply that if you're good, you'll be blessed. If you're bad, you'll be cursed. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of scriptures that seem to always say that's the way the, that God rewarded good behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, and. And then you take it even a further step. You have in America only, I think, the prosperity gospel, which almost ter- becomes seek ye first the kingdom of God so that all these things will be added unto you. And I was assuming, Jim, that that was a, a, a bit of an outpouring of the dispensationalist tradition, mm-hmm. as you had mentioned earlier. So in other words, we're in a different dispensation. The words of Christ here were in this particular theology were referring to a time period when you earned your salvation Mm -hmm. and so uh now that we're in the new dispensation saved by grace through faith and nothing to do with our works then on the other hand these blessings were a sign from god of good faith Mm -hmm. and again if you think about the health and wealth gospel uh in other words, if you truly believe in Jesus, you're not going to be sick. If you truly believe in Jesus, you're going to be rewarded. And try to figure out how this fits in with what our Lord said. Here in this parable, the men choose not to go to the feast because of their possessions, their property, or their relationship. In other words, uh, well, let's move to the next verse. That mm-hmm. was Wednesday of last week. Now on Thursday, when you look at on Thursday, we have an even more difficult section. Jim, you want to read this or summarize yeah. it? Because um, um, this is this Luke 14, 25 through 33. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then he goes on to give two examples. One is a man who builds a tower 
And if he doesn't uh, calculate properly, he'll run out of money and uh, won't be able to finish the tower and look foolish. The other is two kings coming to war. And if one of the kings realizes he only has 10,000 men and the other 20,000, he'll send a diplomat to bring about a peace without violence. In other words, you need to plan ahead. You need to, to know so that you don't look foolish. Every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. That's a very strong saying. Yeah, there are three particular statements in this gospel reading, which again was last Thursday's gospel reading mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. Not just Catholics. I mean, there are Lutherans and Episcopalians that use the common lectionary. And quite often Methodists. Methodists. Too. And I did it when I was a Presbyterian pastor. I began using the common lectionary rather than just choose whatever verse I want on a given Sunday. But you wouldn't have been having a Thursday well, service. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but three difficult verses. Those of you listening, how do you live out these verses? One, if anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Number two, whoever does not carry his own cross and come mm -hmm. after me cannot be my disciple. Number three, in the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot meet, be my disciple. How do we live those out? It's very difficult. And one thing we need to do is balance it in um, other passages where we are called not to hate anyone. Uh, he, you know, even enemies. Even enemies. And we are to love our brothers and sisters and even love ourselves. Love others as you love yourself. So how do we balance that with uh, if you don't hate your own self, <laughs> yeah. your own life, I should Th say. This is why, let's back off just a second, Jim. This is why in, in all of our studies of hard verses, what we're recognizing is that the, the idea of the Bible alone carries with it such mm -hmm. dangerous uh, implications and ramifications for our walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. It requires that we recognize that in the earliest days of the church, the first century, that the, the truth, the gospel, at the fullness of the gospel, the fullness about God, about Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about living out the life, about, about church, about worship, the fullness about being baptized, about faith, all these issues— the fullness were delivered from Jesus to his apostles and their disciples by word of mouth. Mm -hmm. They were not written down. And so that the fullness that passed from our Lord to his disciples to Paul, as Paul spent 15 years in Tarsus, getting it all together, uh, trying to understand his Jewish training and understanding what it meant now as a Christian, Peter James, John, all the writers of the New Testament as they went out and planted the churches around the Mediterranean, the, the complete package of this deposit of faith 
that was being passed on, or what we call sacred tradition. Mm -hmm. That was the groundwork for understanding all these teachings of Jesus Christ. Later, when Paul and Peter and James and John could not get to the people that they were leading, they would write letters. Mm -hmm. But if they could be there in person, that was their norm. The point is that when we interpret any of these scriptures, we must interpret them within the light of the entire tradition, Mm -hmm. not the other way around. And that's what causes problems. When people decide that they come up with a new spin to a verse, and they run with it because they find five other verses that back up their view. But they're not looking at it in terms of the entire context of the faith. And that's the only way that you can make sure that you're understanding, for example, what it means to hate your father and mother, to hate your wife and children. How do you understand that? You can't just say, I'll find three or four other verses because that might make it more complicated. Because here Jesus says to hate your father and mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, even your own life. And another verse says, no, you don't even hate your enemy. So now what what happens, Jim, is, and I would do this as a pastor, I would come up with my answer to that. Mm-hmm. But how do I know it's correct? Because the Methodist down the road or the Baptist or the Pentecostal, or especially the health and wealth gospel now, preacher now who has a church of 20,000 people every Sunday, you know, he's going to have his own spin. But we're talking about Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple unless you get this right. That's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. You cannot be my disciple unless you carry your cross. What's it mean to carry your cross? What does it mean to come after Jesus? You cannot be his disciple unless you get this right. You cannot be his disciple unless you renounce all your possessions. You've got to get it right. Yeah. And and it's very difficult because how do you renounce all your possessions, but then still take care of your family or or fulfill the other things that God has called you to do in your life? You feel fulfill your your uh, responsibilities as a husband yeah. If you're hating your wife. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but you see, now, there are some traditions like J- Luther and Calvin that decided, well, obviously, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so we're totally depraved, and so we throw ourselves at the feet of God, and then we receive his righteousness and justification as a covering over the manure that we are. Yeah. So basically, we can ignore these passages. Because I can't do them. Yeah. What about when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Well... Obviously, we can't do that, so I don't need to try anymore. I just point to Jesus so that someday when I die, if I die tonight and God said, why should I let you into my heaven, then we don't want him to look at us because we're complete failures, so we point to his son. Well, that's the old program called Evangelization Explosion, uh, Explosion published by a Presbyterian that had his way. So again, what do we mean by this? So Jim, within... Within sacred tradition, within the teaching of the church, how do we understand what Jesus meant by hating father and mother, wife and child, brother and sister, even our own life? Within uh, sacred tradition and the teaching of the church, we are called to be detached, to put Christ first and his kingdom first. And as I said earlier, all these things will be added to you. And also we are to do it as is appropriate 
to our calling in life. For some people, it may be a more radical answer to this than others. I'm th- the earlier passage. Um, oh no, it was the rich, rich, the passage of the rich young ruler. It's not. We don't have it here, but we mentioned it. There's one person I remember who walked in late to mass one time in the fourth century as a young man in Egypt and heard it and took it at face value, went home and sold all of his inheritance and uh, went out into the desert, St. Athanasius, and God used his, him mightily. That was his specific calling. Another good example is even St. Francis, mm-hmm. you know, who, you know, this issue of hating. Yeah, yeah. unlike unlike Athanasius, St. Francis even gave, took, gave his clothes away. Athanasius right. didn't do that. You know, this idea of hating father, mother, wife, and child, of course not. Although I've heard stories, I mean, horrible stories about uh, I remember one woman down, uh, I think it was in Texas, that went and killed all her children, mm-hmm. you know, because she thought that was the best thing for them because she was interpreting a scripture. No, this has the best way I can love my wife is to love God more because mm-hmm. then I can love her more fully. If I get it backwards, if I get it backwards, I love her more than God. If I love property more than God, then it gets out of balance. It can start out being kind of like a trajectory to the moon. If you start out with just a little bit off, it doesn't look like much. But then in the end, you miss the moon. Well, that's what the first parable was about, Mm -hmm. about missing the meal. That's what this was about. And then on Friday, for example, we had, I think I've got this right, um, Romans the epistle was Romans 14, 7 through 12, mm-hmm. when Paul writes, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bend before me, and every tongue shall give praise to God, so that each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now that was the epistle reading on the same day when the Luke 16 passage said, um, it was about the, the dishonest servant, who steward, who... Uh, knew he was going to get fired. <laughs> he heard that, so he went out to all the customers and said, "Oh, you owe your, your my boss uh, 150 bucks. I'll tell you what, you just give me 50, and we'll call it. Yeah. We'll, rewrite it. We'll rewrite it." Uh, went to, he kept going to these guys, making deals with them, and then in the end, Jesus says. And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently, for the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. How do we deal with those passages? Especially when the church put together Romans 14 with Luke 16, you know, where one, you're going to be held accountable for everything you do before God, and Mm -hmm. here's this dishonored steward being honored for being so prudent. Dishonored for juggling the accounts, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, I've heard one explanation that said that the steward would normally, the normal practice was if the bill was 100 bucks, he would automatically double it to 200 or 150 to get his share. So what he was really doing, he was going out and say, don't give me my share, just give me what you owe my boss. So that's a way to explain Mm -hmm. the passage. But again, 
the, the point is, within the context of, of the sacred tradition, the point is that, uh, in, in the first case, we are accountable to God for how we live our life. And so we recognize that we are sinful, that we fail, mm-hmm. so therefore we need grace. That's why the church and our Lord Jesus gave the apostles confession, so that we can be wiped clean to start over so that we can live by grace, and when we fail, we can start over. Never leaning to the one side that says it doesn't matter, or to the other side that says, well, I can do anything I want because I can go to the confessional and get forgiven, because then you won't be. It's about an attitude of heart, all drawing us forward to be responsible with our lives. Right. Let's, uh, because of time, let's go to the next passage, which this one I think was Saturday. I may have got the days wrong, but Saturday was Luke 16, when, again, it has to deal with this dishonest wealth question, (laughs) and the the verse in there that I think is key, just because of time, we're not going to go through, maybe in another program, we'll have actual guests that will deal with one of these as a difficult verse. But again, he points in here in the middle that um, no servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or be mm-hmm. devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There's the point of all these passages, is that this issue of detachment. Mm-hmm. is He's not saying that our property, our possessions, our people are bad. But if we make them our gods, we put them in in place of God, and so we won't be invited to the feast. Yeah, we make us their slaves rather than the servants and the children of God himself. Because, as he said back in that Romans 14 package, passage, that we'll give an account for ourselves mm-hmm. before God. Where has our heart been? What's the treasure of our heart, he says in another place? Is it these things? And so our whole life involves, that's what the carrying of the cross is, Jesus talked about earlier. It's it's a, a progression towards the Father, which is a progression of detachment, of letting go, mm-hmm. of letting go of these other things. In fact, one verse we could throw in here is a difficult verse, is the very, very last verse of First John. You know, most New Testament books end with, you know, say say goodbye to Fred or Alice and I'll see you. This is Paul. Have a good day. God bless you. But how does John end his first letter? Do you remember, Jim? Off the top of my head. I'm I sorry. I didn't mean to drop it. It's a very simple thing. John ends his first letter with this statement. Stay away from idols. Oh, that's right. Stay away from idols. That's the way he ends his letter. Mm-hmm. And... and there have been thousands of interpretations. Well, what did he mean? What did he mean? Why did he end it? Was half the letter missing now? <laughs> um, was he getting old and senile, so he said a dumb thing? Or did he end it with the most important thing he could think of? Because anything that stands in the way of us and God is an idol. And so that's the last thing he told those people, stay away from idols. Yeah. Jim, why don't the last verse, this was Sunday's passage. Okay. So Andrew, the point is from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the church has had all these passages talking about the relationship that we have to possessions and property mm-hmm. and people and things. And then here's the coup de grace on Sunday. 
On Sunday, the reading was the gospel according to Mark, uh, chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. I'll read from 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow also came and put in two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. For they have all contributed from their surplus wealth. But she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. You know, to a certain extent, Jim, this passage sums up the point Mm-hmm. of all the other passages that are the church has chosen for the, the masses leading up to it all week long. We probably should have gone back and looked at Monday and Tuesday to see <laughs> how, the, how the journey began. But as, as the very fine priest pointed out in his homily on Sunday, where I was last Sunday, Father Jeff at St. Rose, I've got to say him because it was a wonderful, a wonderful homily, as he always gives. Um, he pointed out that one of the keys in this passage is that it says Jesus observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. In other words, it wasn't how much; it was how. It was. It was. Look at me. Well, no, no. It, it was their heart. Their hearts. Their attitude. Well, it, and also. Yeah, you're right. It was. It was. It was what was going on in that woman when she gave all that she had. Mm-hmm. In other words, her money wasn't an idol. She didn't love her money more than God. Uh, she didn't love herself more. Remember that one passage about hating yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, all those passages come together and are, and are uh, illumined and, and exhibited in the act of this one woman as opposed to the many rich who put in large amounts of money, but, as Jesus said, they were putting from their excess. In other words, they weren't hurting from it. They were calculating how much they needed to get by. And once they knew they were, once I know I've provided for myself, then I'll trust God. Yeah, and this woman was very poor. Uh, the Greek word for the coin she put in was a lepton. A lepton is worth one quarter of a penny. <laughs> so not even two cents. Right. Yeah, so this is where the two cents, put in your two cents comes from. It wasn't even two cents. You know, when you think about these verses, the, I guess what we're trying to encourage you to do is, you're, is looking at them in the wider context of the faith, as the church teaches within the rule of the faith. Because you think about all the other scriptures, the examples of the saints, the teaching of the spiritual writers, the teachings of the church, and so it gives you confidence Mm -hmm. to come to a hard passage. And if it's hard, you say, I don't understand it. But it doesn't mean your faith is challenged, but it it helps you put it into the context. How do you move forward with these verses? How do I move forward in relationship to my husband, my wife, my children, my possessions, my property. Let's think about the big, the big uh, picture. 
Can any of you think of an example from Scripture of someone who had lots and lots of stuff, but it was all taken away? What was his heart? Job. 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 That's why that book is there, Mm -hmm. because it gives us the model of what would happen to us if all the things we had gripped so tightly were taken away. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I guess the point of today's discussion is that verses are hard, but if they're interpreted within the full context of the faith, they begin to make sense. It doesn't necessarily mean that we've arrived at living out these passages, Mm -hmm. but it helps us set a direction on how we can be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. It causes us, or it should cause us, to sit back and evaluate our priorities. You know, we may not be called to be a St. Athanasius or a St. Francis, but are we allowing persons, possessions, or things to be too important in our life? We need to evaluate, all of us, you and me too. Yep, yep. Well, thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot for joining me on the program. Just a reminder, all of you, that we want to hear from you, you can email us at questions at uh, deepinscripture.com or you can leave us a voicemail question or comment by clicking the button if you go to deepinscripture.com. There's a, a place you can uh, contact us there. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Also, Deep in Scripture, again, is brought to you by the Coming Home Network, a network of Christian men and women who, in their walk with Christ, found themselves drawn to embrace the Catholic Church. Wherever you may be on your own Christian journey, we invite you to walk, to learn, and to pray with us. Visit www.chnetwork.org, and we'll look forward to being with you again next week on Deep in Scripture. God bless you. See you then.